Well, as I get uh, situated up here, I invite you to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. We continue our time here in Ephesians as it's quickly waning for us. We recognize that as Paul is closing out this letter to the Ephesians, he does so in many ways in the same way we read at the end of Corinthians, that they would turn their focus away from themselves and away from their weaknesses and their sin and turn their focus upon Christ and what they receive based on their union with him. And so this morning as we move to uh, Ephesians 6 and the second half of verse 14, and we look at this breastplate of righteousness, I thought it would be appropriate for us to read a selection of passages from what we've gone through in Ephesians before that I think highlight for us that as we come to this part about putting on or having put on the breastplate of righteousness, that we would understand that this is something for us to be had or that we do have in Christ. Another way of putting on the full armor of God or taking up the full armor of God is where Paul says in other places to put on Christ, to be found in him. So see this theme throughout Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 7. In him... We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him with a view to administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth, In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Again, Paul says in chapter 2, beginning in verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by having put to death the enmity. Again, In uh, uh, chapter 3, verse 14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. 
that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with the power through his spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love. We see Paul starting to turn here. Now he's talking about we go from being in Christ, not that we've moved from being in Christ the outside of Christ, but the truth that we are in Christ, rooted in him, to now there's this strengthening of the inner man in us as Christ dwells in us. And so we read in chapter 4, beginning in verse 17. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, having given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as the truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. Can we see in Paul's letter, if we just pull on this thread of being in Christ that it starts to kind of pull Paul's letter together. It's not the only thread that we can pull on in, Christ, in, in Paul's letter, but it is a thread in Paul's letter to the Ephesians so that when we get here, and now I'm going to read for us the greater passage that we're going over, Ephesians 6 through 6, 10 through 17, where hopefully we don't lose that thread. Don't let go of the thread that you can be found in Christ if you, are, uh, if you put your faith in him. Follow along as I read for us Ephesians 6, 10 through 17. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, And with this in view, be on alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let us go to him once again for help this morning. Oh, Lord God, we thank you that we can come before your word this morning. We recognize that you speak to us through it. That there are many who long to hear the voice of God and tried to do so in so many varied ways of of abominable ways. 
idolatrous ways. And yet, Lord, here you are in your word, speaking to us by your spirit. So we ask, Lord, that your spirit would attend the preaching of your word so that we too may hear your voice anew and afresh, so that we would not just be hearers of your word, but doers also. We thank you, Lord, and we praise your name, and we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. It may feel like we're already at the doxology of the sermon, but there is still more. Last week, we covered that first piece of armor. We recognized that it wasn't really a piece of armor, right? It was the belt of truth or or, uh, the girdle of truth where it provides no uh, protection, but it provides the function of holding things together. And we were taught, hopefully, to remember that here in this passage, we're not primarily asking How can I provide truth? How can I provide righteousness? How can I provide the gospel of peace, faith, salvation, and the spirit? But that we are to ask, who supplies truth? Who supplies righteousness, the gospel of peace, faith, salvation, and the spirit? We know this answer is our God, the one who provides our armor, the one who it is the armor of God. It is worn armor. It is used, tried, and tested. And now has been given to us so that we too may stand firm as our divine warrior has done already. And so as I said, we, we hopefully remembered that we're going to ask the word who this morning and as we're also going to see We also saw that that belt of truth was that foundational, had a foundational position and that in some way the other pieces of the armor rely upon truth. And so as we look at the breastplate of righteousness, it is certainly not divorced from truth because it comes to us by way of conjunction, the the and, and having put on the breastplate breastplate of righteousness. And so we recognize the place of truth that we cannot recognize this righteousness apart from truth. And so hopefully we'll expound that this morning or come uh, to expound upon that this morning. We'll address this uh, piece of armor under uh, three headings, the battle, the breastplate, and the blessing. The battle, the breastplate, and the blessing. First, let's just take a step back and recognize the battle again. Because as we enter into these pieces of armor, we must recognize they have a place in the battle, in, in this idea of what's going on in this cosmic battle that Paul is putting before our minds as we recognize it as a heavenly witness to the exalted Christ. Because in this battle, we are not without hope. For the serpent's head has been crushed We recognize that the serpent's head has been crushed, that he is a defeated foe, that he has been uh, fatally wounded. Revelation describes him as being chained. And so, yet we recognize that we are in a battle, for we too have yet to receive the consummated promise that is both a renewed soul and a renewed body on a renewed earth existing without veil with our God. 
This battle, Matthew Henry describes as this. He says, the Christian armor is made to be worn. And there is no putting off our armor till we have done our warfare and finished our course. The combat is not against human enemies, nor against our own corrupt nature only. We have to do with an enemy who has a thousand ways of beguiling unstable souls. The devil's assault, the devil assaults us in the things that belong to our souls and labors to deface the heavenly image in our hearts. We must resolve by God's grace not to yield to Satan. Resist him and he will flee. If we give way, he will get around. He will get ground. If we distrust either our cause or our leader or our armor, we give him advantage. We recognize that this battle, as it says, is not one of flesh and blood. Our flesh, our body is described in many ways in scripture. It's It's a body of death. It's described as a tent to be put off. It's a temporary dwelling place for our souls, but not that we would be forever disembodied souls in some uh, cosmic playground, but that this flesh being condemned in Adam, being condemned by the first Adam for he broke his covenant and so cursed all his progeny is to be done away with and returned to dust from which it was formed. Knowing that our faith is that in the same way, because of the one who was not, who succumbed to death, but death could not hold him and was resurrected, so we too will be resurrected in soul and body. And so we recognize that though this, this battle is against flesh and blood, because when we, is not against flesh and blood, because we don't war against this temporary dwelling. This temporary dwelling is a holding place, a, a temporary holding place for something that is greater to come, something that is to be renewed in Christ's resurrection or fully renewed in his resurrection, so that we would not be dismayed when our bodies fall apart. I'd notice that in some of my older friends, or uh, as, our, as our friendship gets older, they walk differently. It, right there, about 40. Things, you start walking a little differently. Things feel differently. I, rem- I remember watching this clip of a comedian, and he brings a stool out, and he steps up on the stool, and he says, now everybody under 40 isn't concerned at all with what I'm doing here. But everybody over 40 is fully concerned that I am standing on a stool and I may fall and hurt myself. And then he shows how you get down as a 40-year-old and he steps one foot, hand here, there. It's our bodies are to succumb to the curse. So we don't look to them for hope. We don't look to them as if we're to battle against this. This world battles against their flesh. You, you don't have to travel very far even in our valley to find rejuvenating centers or, or uh, places where they offer you the potion of eternal youth or the surgery of eternal youth or the elixir that will change all things on your appearance. And yet, as it is, as Christ uh, spoke against the Pharisees, they are, those that don't have faith in Christ are whitewashed tombs. They're just so pretty to look at, but inside, they're death. 
And so we war not against flesh and blood. This battle is not against that which we can see, but it's against this, these cosmic powers, these spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So we, just because we can't see them, we best not rest on our laurels. We best not become complacent as Christians. Though, as we recognize and we're asking the who here, that's our primary question, is, is who is providing the righteousness? It is not so that we have righteousness to go and take a nap, spiritually speaking, but that we would have hope and encouragement to do what? To be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So we must recognize that this battle is one not of flesh and blood. It's one that we are to stand firm against the schemes of our flesh and of the world and of the devil. And how do we stand firm? Well, Paul is expounding for us how we stand firm. And he has told us how we stand firm. We stand firm in Christ. But then he uses this metaphor of armor to explain how we are in Christ. First, we're girded with truth. Second, we have the breastplate of righteousness. And so if we look at this breastplate, we can look at it first from a historical standpoint. And, and one commentator had a really great ad, a, analysis of, of a breastplate. And, I, and I'm going to use him because he doesn't just focus on the Romans. He, he, he goes back to all the way to the Egyptians and to the first potential breastplates that were made. He says the skins of beasts were probably the earliest material used to protect the soldier's body. Leather, right? Um, these were soon abandoned for a coat of mail, of which there were various kinds. There was the Egyptian one. Uh, made of horizontal rows of metal plates, each about one inch in breadth and fastened together by brass pins. There was the Hebrew one made of brass fashioned with scales or of uh, leather covered with brazen scales. And there was the Greek and Roman one composed at first of pieces of horn fastened like feathers upon linen shirts, but afterwards of metallic scales. Sometimes, too, the, uh, the breastplate was composed of rings hooked into each other, and sometimes of two solid plates, one for the breast and the other for the back, and joined by bands over the shoulders on the right side of the body, and the plates were united by hinges, and on the left they were fastened by means of buckles. Such was the ancient breastplate, or coat of mail. It covered and protected the entire body of the warrior, from the neck to the thigh, and sometimes even to the knees. Thus, it is a fit emblem of, what, of that which protects the Christian from all the attacks of his foes, wherever and from whatever quarter they may come. Just if we think about this metaphor as it, is, as it exists, that you have protection from neck to potential knees. One of the things I think we must also recognize is that it doesn't protect like a shield protects. The shield here is to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. That 
melee, I mean that, that long combat or that extended combat where you're, you're, you're holding your shield and you're protected from flaming arrows or darts or however the translation reads. But this breastplate is for close contact battle, right? It's not really going to stop an arrow per se, but it will stop a blow with a weapon. It, it is meant to protect the wearer from a close contact melee fight, an up-close and personal battle. And so it is important that we see that as we recognize this, uh, um, describing it as righteousness. For we see faith is the shield, but righteousness is to protect those vital parts of our being. Those vital parts of our soul by the breastplate of righteousness. And since we're asking the question, not how, but who, we can ask from where do we get this piece of armor? And by this time, you will not be surprised to learn that we get this piece of armor from Christ. Not as a gift taken off the shelf, but as a endowment taken from his own body. How did Christ wear this breastplate? Turn with me to Isaiah 59. We'll visit Isaiah 59 again when we uh, address the helmet of salvation for sure. And so it plays such a pivotal role in uh, Paul's final words to the Ephesians that we'll come back to it again. So we'll just cover it uh, uh, real quickly as we recognize what's going on here in Isaiah 59. The prophet speaking on behalf of the Lord saying that uh, in verse 1, Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, nor is his ear so dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear you. And then he goes on to describe their iniquities. He goes on to put them in such ways of, uh, of acts, of, of fingers and lips and tongues. And of the mind where they conceive mischief and bring forth iniquity. They hasten to shed innocent blood. As we'll see as we're shod with the gospel of peace here, they have their feet, their feet run to evil and hasten to shed innocent blood. Therefore, justice is far from us and righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light, I'm reading verse 9, but behold darkness, for brightness, but we walk in gloom. We grope along the wall like blind men. We grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at midday as in the twilight. Among those who are vigorous, we are like dead men. All of us growl like bears and moan sadly like doves. We hope for justice, but there is none. For salvation but it is far from us. 
for our transgressions are multiplied before you and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us and we know our iniquity. This word justice here is another way of, of, or another faucet of righteousness. One cannot be righteous if they're not just. Just is doing that which is, uh, that which is, um, always doing that which is good or required, whether to God or to man. We say God is just for he always does what is right. He always does what is righteous. And so they're hoping for this. But they recognize that righteousness, in verse 14, stands far away from them. And uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking. And so they turn to the Lord. They're being called to turn to the Lord. And in verse 16, and he saw that there was no man and was astonished that there was no one to intercede. And his own arm brought salvation to him and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness like a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. And he put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself with zeal as a mantle. According to their deeds, he will repay Wrath to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies. To the coastlands he will make recompense. So they will fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising sun. And he will come like a rushing stream when the wind of the Lord drives. A redeemer will come to Zion. And those who turn from transgression in Jacob declares the Lord. We... Often, and rightfully so, we we emphasize Christ as the Redeemer. But we must see Christ also as the warrior, as the judge, as the righteous one who comes to repay evil. He comes in the zeal of the Lord to avenge the Lord. And so it's probably with great wonder that the original readers of Isaiah, maybe even Isaiah himself, read Isaiah 59, after he wrote Isaiah 53, we read of the suffering servant who another, this one comes, but he comes as unmentionable. He comes to lay down his life, to to bear the sins and iniquities of his people. And we yet and should not divorce this from the one who puts on the righteousness like a like a breastplate. So for those who do not submit to this one and see and, and give praise to him for his time of humiliation will be fearful and should fear his judgment when he comes in his glory. But this breastplate of righteousness is the one that he gives to us for it was his protection in the incarnation for he was assailed by many wiles of the devil we think of his temptation in the wilderness and we think of the many ways christ or many ways the devil tempted him and it was personal and it was direct are you the son of god he just came up out of 
his baptism where the voice of the Lord was heard. This is my son and who am I am well pleased. And then he's led by the spirit into the wilderness. And the question is from Satan's temptation. Are you the son of God? Is God pleased with you? 40 days without food and water. Change these stones into bread. Bow down to me and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. His breastplate of righteousness being assailed and yet impeccable. And even more so, assailed by his own disciple, betrayed by a kiss from one he shed his his love upon. We don't know in scripture, it, it does not give us the love and kindness he showed to Judas. But we know he called one of his disciples beloved, so I'm sure he showed affection to the others, Judas included. Judas was not the outcast and the excluded one, and it was like, yeah, we, we get to know, we know, we saw that coming. No, in that night when he said, one of you will betray me, they all looked around and said, who? Who is it? For Christ showed no partiality. His breastplate of righteousness was assailed with a kiss and yet impeccable. And again, pouring out himself upon the cross, assailed again by those that watched. If you are the son of God, then you would come down off that cross, pierced, Blood flowing, water flowing. His breastplate of righteousness was assailed and yet impeccable because he never sinned against his God in thought, word, or deed. I don't think we can conceive of that impeccableness I don't think we can fully understand that level and immensity of righteousness. Except in some fashion, relatively, when we consider our own lack of righteousness. Our own wayward minds and hearts. Our own acting upon our sinful desires. How do we get this righteousness? It is given to us through union with Christ. As we put our faith in Christ, we are united to him by his spirit. And so what Christ has, we receive. And so we receive this breastplate of righteousness. Alexander McLaren says it is given in Christ to simple belief. He that has faith thereby has the righteousness which is through faith. In Christ. For in his faith, he has the one formative principle of reliance on God, which will gradually refine character and mold conduct into whatsoever things are lovely and of good report. That righteousness which faith receives is no mere forensic treating of the unjust as just. There is a, there is a forensic declaration of our righteousness, but it's not just that. 
That forensic relationship of righteousness actually produces something by the Spirit of God in us. But it does bring with it pardon and oblivion from past transgression that makes a man in the depths of his being righteous by way of action. However slowly it may afterwards transform his conduct. The faith which is a departure from all reliance on works of righteousness which we have done and is a single-eyed reliance on the work of Jesus Christ opens the heart in which it is planted to all the influences of that life which was in Jesus, that from him it may be in us. It can be said that what was fully imputed to us is continually imparted through us. Not that it's contingent. The imparted righteousness is not contingent on I mean, the imputed righteousness is not contingent on the imparted righteousness. The, imp- the imputed, the giving, the laying on, the putting on, as Paul says throughout his letters, and, and uh, the Old Testament uh, attests to this. But that by natural uh, generation, just as a fruit, apple tree bears apple fruit, so an imputed righteous person begins to act righteously. Imputed is the great exchange where we put off our body, our, our, our dead souls. We put off our old person and put on Christ. We receive his righteousness. It's not just that our sins are wiped clean as I've explained to the young people. It's not just that your debts are canceled. But it's that your accounts are now full. And this imparted righteousness is the imputed working in us through the indwelt spirit. Ian DeGweed, my helpful guide through the armor of God, says we are right with God through perfect obedience. But it is not our own weak and failing righteousness that guards us, not even our ability to strap on God's breastplate well. Rather, it is a perfect righteousness that comes from God, a righteousness given to us in Christ as part of the cosmic transfer deal by which our own guilt was laid on Jesus. In this imputed righteousness that is worked out in us as the Holy Spirit renews our thinking and renews our living, In that way, we begin to live the lives we were created to live, made like God in true righteousness and holiness. By God's grace, put on the breastplate of imputed righteousness so that you too may be increasingly strengthened to stand against the devil's schemes upheld by the Lord's mighty, omnipotent hand. Here is the first and primary intention that we having put on the breastplate of righteousness is to recognize where we get it from, who we get it from, the value and the, uh, the impeccability of it. So that with that assurance, now we can look to what is then the blessing of having this breastplate of righteousness. We've begun to talk about it. The, the blessing is that we are now free to live to God though in our weakness and many failings. But now we don't have to worry that when we fail, which we will do, 
that God will be angry at us and his wrath will come upon us for his wrath fell upon another. And he, when he sees us, he sees the righteousness of Christ. And so that is to free us to live for Christ. I think there's three ways that this is a blessing. And they come to us under these three categories. Yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Yesterday, the breastplate of righteousness is the totality of your sin is consumed by the overflowing righteousness of Christ. We have a blessing of the Reformed tradition and theology that's been passed down to us. And we're able to read of these men and in our confession, the compiling of what of what is uh, the teaching of scripture. And there is this thing called the assurance of grace that is a hallmark of the Reformed faith. Because if Christ has done it all, and your faith is in the one who has done it all, then you can have assurance of grace. It sounds scandalous. It sounds a little like, are you sure we can do that? Because if you say they can be assured, then they're just going to run off and do whatever they want. Not so. That which has been imputed is also working in imparted ways. Our confession says in chapter 18 and paragraph 1, Yet such as truly believe in the Lord Jesus and love him in sincerity, endeavor to walk in all God's conscience before him, may in this life be certainly assured that they are in the state of grace. This, is not, this certainty is not a bare conjectural and probable persuasion grounded upon a fallible hope, but an infallible assurance of faith founded on the blood and righteousness of Christ, revealed in the gospel, and also upon the inward evidence of those graces of the Spirit unto which promises are made, and on the testimony of the Spirit of adoption, witnessing with our spirits that we are the children of God. The encouragement is the same, though maybe there could be some counseling nuances, but to the one who's the licentious professing Christian is to remind them that they are children of God in Christ. So act like it. You possess the spirit of Christ. You're going to act like Christ. To the one who's downtrodden, feels they don't live up to the standard of Christianity, cultural Christianity, they're to be reminded that their faith in Christ and his righteousness alone and the evidence of that through their desire to please him can assure them that they are children of God. The blessing of the breastplate of righteousness has that effect yesterday as our totality of our sins are assumed or consumed in the righteousness of Christ, it also has a blessing for today. The constant failure of doing what you ought not and not doing what you ought is washed in the flood of Christ's righteousness. Greg LaFollette is a, a Christian artist that I, I appreciate a lot of his songs, and he has a song called uh, Most Merciful God. 
And and these are the lyrics. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you by what we have done and what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart, our whole, or our whole, excuse me, with our, our whole heart. And then it repeats our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbor as we loved ourselves. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways. The glory of your name. The glory of your name. The blessing of being, of having the breastplate of righteousness is that we have a God who will never turn us away as we approach him in repentance. As we, as we confess that we have not done what we ought and we have done what we shouldn't. We've left We've done things that we shouldn't have done and we've left undone things that we should have done. But for the sake of Jesus, have mercy and forgive us so that we too may see the protection of that breastplate of righteousness. Yesterday, today, and tomorrow, John Flavel says it is only a wink and you shall see God. Your happiness shall not be deferred till the resurrection, but as soon as the body is dead, the gracious soul is swallowed up in life. The divine warrior of Isaiah will return and by his power will destroy this great battle that is presented to us in Ephesians chapter 6. The divine warrior of Isaiah will return one day When he returns, though we experience the goodness of God now and and give praise to him that we have a semblance of happiness and peace, that day when we see our, our warrior clad in his righteousness, we may know greater what life is. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 19, and we'll get just a taste of it. This day of the Lord is a day of final battle, is a day of the return of our king who comes not anymore as the suffering servant, but the one who has lived and died and still lives again. And it says in verse 11, And I saw heaven opened up, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and his head on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a rope dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. 
And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying to all the birds which fly in mid-heaven, Come and assemble for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of commanders and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and those who sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free and slaves and small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war against him who sat on on the horse and against his army. And then it talks about the great and mighty victory of God. And the beast were see, and the beast was seized and with him the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshiped his image there these two were thrown alive into the lake of fire which burns with brimstone and the rest were killed with the sword which came by the mouth of him who sat on the horse and all the birds were filled with their flesh. If you're afraid of that day because you have not put your faith in the one who's coming on that day, the invitation still stands as you still possess breath to turn And kiss the sun, lest in his wrath he destroys you. But if you have put your faith in this one, this day is a glorious day where all our enemies are put to shame. All that which guiles us and beguiles us and and tempts us is put us under. So that we may rejoice in his coming. We may cry with those in heaven, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we give you praise this morning that you've clad us with such wonderful blessings that are summed up as being clothed and found in Christ. And we may recognize that there is a breastplate of righteousness that protects us in our inmost parts, in our vital places, so that these personal attacks may not touch us truly, Lord. Though they assail us, though they burden us, though they cause us to stumble, because it is your righteousness They do not achieve their end. We give you praise for that. Help us to hope in that. Help us to long for your coming. May we see this, Lord, and wonder at your great and awesome mercy. We thank you and we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as we...